This is Down the TV Rabbit Hole with Jim Sion. That's me. I'm in New Orleans, and Mr. Hio back there is Harry Bartosiak in Chicago. How are you, pal? Season's greetings. <laughs> Halloween is the season. Sure. Glad to be here. It's been well, a long you know, time. I, you know, I can sense your extra enthusiasm, and I didn't realize why until just now, because this isn't just Down the TV Rabbit Hole. What, how would you describe this episode, my friend? Well... This is, and I'm always extra excited for, an extravaganza. Suggested by our friend John Kuhn, our number one fan. He said, hey man, you should do an extravaganza. So we've picked a topic, we've picked a certain genre of television shows, and I think we should just toss it right over to you, Harry. You kick it off, and people are going to figure out exactly uh, uh, where the pieces fall here, because this is going to be pretty simple for people to figure out. I'm talking, I'm feeling real loose today, Jim, almost like I'm on drugs, even though I'm not, because I'm going to talk about my main man, Chuck Barris, and his stuff in the gong show. Hey, hey, a classic. 1976 to 80 and beyond, and this was a variety show of absolutely horrible, absurd acts that sometimes were funny, but a lot of times were just garbage. And it worked out well because uh, any time that the acts sucked, the panelists, of which there were two or three, three actually, maybe were there four, you can tell me in a minute. No, there were three. Uh, three. Uh, had a big gong in back of them and would cut the axe off by hitting the gong. And their crazy host, Chuck Barris, was the creator of the show. He was the presenter of the show. And he was also the producer. Now, we should mention... Chuck Barris, we should mention, he's the guy that did Hollywood, uh, the, the dating game, the newlywed game. Um, uh, oh, I'm missing a million of them. Uh, the dating game, the newlywed game, the um, what are the other shows he did back in the 60s on ABC and the, through the 70s? Beat the uh, Clock. No, that one, Beat the Clock. I'll put him in the corrections. I, I'm having a blank right now, but he was the game show king, basically. He was the game show king, but he wasn't the presenter of any of those shows. Uh, right. By the that's a word I just started using. Growing up, I always said game show host, but I thought lately I've been seeing presenter all over the place. So I think, you know, just get with it. Get with the times and start using bigger words. But um, Chuck Barris wasn't going to be the host of this show. From my deep and in-depth research, the host was supposed to be a guy named John Barber who um, did the pilot and then walked away. John Barber didn't want anything to do with this show. Because he had an immaculate, I guess, in his mind, reputation as a solid uh, host of quality shows like oh, Real no. People. Yeah, no, he's the Johnny Carson of daytime, I think. That's what most people call him. <laughs> I think I ba barely remember John Barber, but, uh, you know, he was on Real People. And uh, you and I talked about this a little bit earlier. Remember all, we're not going to get into it, but Real People had all those... Uh, those hosts that were not really ever hosts of any other shows, like Skip Stevenson, kind of looked like Gilligan with blonde hair, uh, Sarah Purcell. Who was, who was pretty good looking, if I remember correctly. Was she good looking? I think she was a dancer. She was. She was. I would say that uh, she qualifies, you know, if we have to say yes or no, whatever, you know, she, she's a yes, I would say. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, for her time, yeah. She was a dancer, yeah. Uh, um, Bill Anderson was like some guy later a country show. Actually, he did host some things. He was hosted on the Nashville Network later. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, and um, what else? By the way, I well, like the Nashville Network. I wish that was back on the air. Well, I who was, was who stuff. was the big, who was the guy who was the host of most of the shows on the Nashville Network? He was an old radio DJ, and I always forget his name. Oh yeah, what the hell was his name? It was. But it he wasn't Roy. It was. Uh, oh my God! But I liked him. He was good. He yes. Had the pu- he worked with the puppet. Yep, Never, he did. Yeah. <laughs> No, you're, he did. He did like yeah. na- whatever their morning show was. It was basically a country show in the morning. No, they do a t- now. Yes, you're exactly. I, I always forget the guy's name, and he's legendary. He's in the broadcast hall of fame. Um, Ralph Emery. Uh, uh, thank you. God bless you. <laughs> Ralph Emery, and he knew all the country guys, and he'd call up Chet Atkins. He'd say, Chet, I need oh, a guest, yeah. so Chet would show up with Jerry Reed. Oh, it's great. Yeah, he had a way with uh, – he was a good interviewer because he had the – he was like a Carson kind of a guy. Well, I think he was better than Carson. He should have been the host of The Tonight Show. Uh, <laughs> well, no, he knew, but the thing is he knew all those country guys because he had had an overnight radio show for like 20 years. So all the country guys would play on the Grand Old Opry, oh my and then God, they'd yeah. come – yeah, they'd come right over and sit with Ralph for four hours. A lot of times they'd be drinking. They'd have their guitars, whatever. They'd shoot the bull. They'd sing a couple of songs. And so he, these were, all, I mean, he was a buddy with everybody. Yeah, he did everybody from Ernest Tubb to Vince Gill to the latest stars of the day yep. and everything in between. Nobody was too big to talk to Ralph Emery. Johnny Cash, Waylon Jennings, everybody. Yep. You name They all it. loved him. They loved yeah. him. If Elvis right, was alive, he would have been sitting with Ralph Emery, probably. Well, Elvis hated to do the interviews, though. He wasn't really good at the interviews, you remember. No, that's true. That's true. All anyway. right, back to the gong show. Back to okay, the gong show. Okay, back to the gong show. So Chuck Barris was supposed to, not supposed to host, but Barbara didn't want anything to do with it, so he stepped in front of the camera and immediately tried to be the anti-game show host. He had a tuxedo, but he took it off little by little during the show. He was kind of nervous in front of the camera at the beginning. This is where he developed a clapping habit. You can hear, I've got the sound effect, you know, in the background here. That's why I'm doing that. It seemed like he was on drugs. Um, He claims he wasn't. Yeah, well, we'll see. In in the book that I read, he claims that, you know, his his production company in the 60s, 70s, up through about the early 80s, it was Barris Productions, I think, or Chuck Barris Productions. A lot of marijuana use in the hallways. Uh, There's some mentions of cocaine, but who knows? I don't think he went on the air uh, impaired too many times, but uh, those were the times. Well, he mumbled. He's like, hey, we'll be back after these messages with more stuff. And he'd introduce the act and say, I love this act. Then again, I like... Eating vomit or something. I mean, he was. So that yeah. so then the gong show went from the daytime to the nighttime. Yes, because they kicked it off daytime because they figured out it was uh, not appropriate. They replaced it with some like milk toast, lame ass, uh, you know, uh, morning, you know, an American news news magazine program hosted by Art Linkletter's talentless kid or something. <laughs> So then uh, it got, but it stayed on the air in syndication all the way through 1980. Um, It was canceled uh, from NBC eventually, uh, but in the meantime, they, it it, it, it was crazy stuff. It was all absurd, outlandish acts. The competition was sort of secondary. The way it worked was they'd have, I don't know, three or four acts uh, per show. Uh, They would come out, you know, somebody would uh, juggle condoms or uh, sit on balloons and pop them one by one while singing the Star Spangled Banner, the world's oldest cheerleader. I don't know. Anything 
as stupid as you can imagine, they had it on that show. Dancing Bear, whatever. Um, well, and you know, here's the thing, and if I remember correctly, a lot of the acts were amateurs just doing silly things, but then, but then usually once a show, they'd have a professional, like the unknown comic, and not that he's really a professional. You are correct, sir. Okay, let's get started. How did Webster invent the dictionary? He got in a fight with his wife, and one word led to another. Hey, if Ella Fitzgerald married Darth Vader, she'd be elevator. So, so they, there was like one professional, and again, not like it was. It's not like he got Pavarotti singing uh, Pagliacci well, or whatever, you know. But uh, no, but no. Was, but they did have they did have some regular running gags. Some of them were professionals, like the unknown comic, and some of them were like gimmicks, like Gene Gene the Dancing Machine would come out. He was this um, African-American guy in like a, uh, I don't know, he had a jumpsuit or something and a hat. He was a stagehand, worked in the back, and everybody yep. loved the way he danced and jiggled and shook around. So Chuck Barris like, get out there, Gene, Gene, the dancing machine. <laughs> and they would take a, a musical break and watch Gene dance, and the people from the backstage would throw bottles at him and stuff, and it was hilarious, and they did it every time. And, and the unknown comic would come out, who was an old comedian i think he was actually uh, a writer on another uh, several other shows smothers brothers whatever forget forget the guy's name who's from california but remember his shtick was he wore a bag over his head and he yep. would tell really corny jokes as corny as possible but, but you know right. i'll find out I'll, I'll find out his name and put him in the corrections and here's right. your million dollar trivia question actually no let's make it the ten thousand dollar yes ten all right here yeah. we go all right, right. The, the final jeopardy question when Gene Gene the Dancing Machine would dance, what was the name of the song that he always danced to? Oh, uh, I don't know. I, I saw that in print, and uh, the name escapes me. So I'm, I'm ninety nine percent sure. Ninety nine percent sure it's Jumping at the Woodside by it Count Basie. It is. There That's you go. That's what it is. You're right. Very good. Very good. Uh, but on the topic of some other non lame acts, or they could have there was there were lame, but there was a few acts that appeared that ended up being popular in one way or okay. the other. For example, uh, Andrea McCart, not at the time, but they later became popular. Andrea McCardle was on there, who you remember, uh, later played Annie in the Broadway version of Annie. The sun will come okay. out tomorrow. You had to see her singing that song for about 12 years in a row on every damn show after yeah. that. Yeah, she was pregnant. She was still pre she was pregnant with her third child on Broadway, still singing that goddamn song. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, she's good for her start on the gong show. Cheryl Lynn, who was some, I know, I don't know who the hell she is. She did some kind of disco song, Got to Be Real. Um, no. Paul Rubens and John Paragon, you know who those guys are? Well, Paul Rubens is Pee Wee Herman. I don't know who the other guy. John Paragon was John B. the Giant, the, uh, the genie from the, so Pee Wee Herman got a start on the gong show. Um, okay. In a rarity, they had Boxcar Willie on there one time. So I don't know why, but Holy uh, cow. yeah, he was already popular and then not popular. And then remember they brought back those commercials for Boxcar Willie about the same time they were playing the Slim Whitman commercials, you know, more popular in England than Elvis and the Beatles combined. And you right. could order the eight track tapes. Uh, so Boxcar Willie was on. <clears throat> then they had an act, a guy, you're going to find this one interesting, Joey Dioria. You know who that is? Yes, I do. Joey Dioria. It's not Joey Dio, who's a drummer in Naples, Florida. Uh, Joey Dioria is uh, the guy who became the second Bozo the Clown. That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, he, he did not appear as Bozo on the Gong Show, though, but he was on there. 
Yeah, we should say Bob Bell was the first one on WGN. Yeah. And, of course, there were Loco Bozos. But he was the most famous, and then Joey Dioria replaced him. <laughs> Loco Bozo. That's a great name for a band, by the way. This is my next jazz. Oh, oh that is. Uh, jazz ensemble is going to be called that, Loco Bozo. <laughs> uh, Michael Winslow, you know him. You're personal friends with him, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, the sound effects guy from Police Academy. From Police Academy, right? Yeah. Danny Elfman and Oingo Boingo before they were big, when they were first starting out. Wait um, a minute. They were never big, but keep going. <laughs> oh, uh, au contraire. Hey, I was uh, into new wave and punk music, and I had Oingo Boingo albums when I was going. Uh, no, actually, you're right. They were pretty big. You're right. Yeah, I'm and just he's, he's huge now as far as uh, music scores for movies. But anyway, some of the biggest stars of the show were the, um, the regular panels. Uh, panels, right. So... Can you remember some of the regular panelists that they would have from time to time? The two that always pop up when you do the Google is Jamie Farr yeah. and, of course, the, the girl in the middle who I, who I really kind of like because she was a good jazz singer back in the 50s and 60s, J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan, spelled J-A-Y-E, middle initial P, P. Morgan. Yeah. Yeah, and Google Google her, Google her with Louis Armstrong and the Dukes of Dixieland, because she did a Timex All Star Jazz Show and she sang really well. Now, Timex brings you live from New York City the second Timex All Star Jazz Show with Louis Armstrong. <laughs> Miss J P Morgan. The Dukes of Dixieland. And your host, Gary Moore. But when she was on the show, to me, she kind of creeped me out. She had this stringy hair, giant glasses, and uh, she was always like, uh, seemed like wanted to be crude and rude, and it didn't really bother me. I mean, I didn't care. I was an impressionable teenager, but I didn't think she was... Super attractive, and she seemed like she probably smelled like cigarettes or something like that. I mean, I just <laughs> something well, about a lot it. of those. No, yeah. those jazz singers back in the fifties and sixties smoked a lot of cigarettes. So you're probably she right. She seemed kind of like I don't know. There was something um, frightening to me about her, her her whole act there, and I never understood well, course, where she came from. Like, she, okay, all that stuff that was back in the fifties. What the hell was she yeah. doing to get on the Gong Show in the meantime? I mean, but you know, good for her. She made it back on. But it wasn't like she was a regular panelist on any other game show. Well, and of course, she's most famous for in that one episode, which I think most people know. Uh, Jean Jean, the dancing machine, is dancing. Everyone's going crazy, and she flashes her boobs, which uh, you can see both the censored and uncensored versions. I think on YouTube. Uh, but that's what a lot of people remember for too. So okay. I don't want to see that, um, and I guess I've already insulted her enough, so I'll just move on. But uh, I didn't think she was that funny either. But uh, the whole No, she wasn't that funny. You're exactly right. She wasn't that funny on the show. Some of the other uh, regular panelists were Rex Reed, Phyllis Diller. Matter of fact, Phyllis Diller um, and J.P. Morgan and Jamie Farr were the panelists for one of the final show, or one of the final shows, for a famous... They had two teenage girls on... Uh, performing yes. fellatio on popsicles, basically. Yeah, you talk about in inappropriate. Yeah, so yeah, uh, uh, Chuck Barris writes about that in his book. He says when they do put that act on the air, 
because there were two young girls, and I, I don't think they were really, I don't think they were wearing like bikinis, although maybe they were. It, correct me if I'm wrong. But, uh, I don't remember. But they, they licked popsicles while the song I'm in the Mood for Love was playing in the background. Right. And so it looked yep. like, you know, yeah, what I just said. So uh, when <laughs> they didn't get gonged either. Uh, and they got the... Well, of course they didn't get gonged. <laughs> J.P. Morgan gave him a 10 out of a 10. Jamie Farr gave him a 10 out of 10. Villas Diller, of all people, the moral arbiter of America, gave him a zero. Okay. Oh. <laughs> so, but that was the, that was the famous uh, Popsicle Twins. Uh, well, I'm sure, Phil, I'm sure Phyllis Diller was saying, you know, when I was in movies with Bob Hope, he never made me do anything like right. that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right, no. I'm sure she never had any unpleasant experience <laughs> inappropriate uh, activity ever. Uh, so anyway, um, some other of my favorite uh, uh, panelists, uh, Lawanda right. Page. I love saying Lawanda Page because I get to say, Fred Sanford, you fish-eyed fool. Lawanda Page, yes. She played Ann Esther. Uh, who else we got here? Uh, just a few. Pat McCormick, who was just the classic. Uh, you don't know who he, what talent he possibly has. He was on every game show in America. Steve Garvey uh, was on quite a few times. Anson wow. Williams, Potsy. Rip Jesus. Taylor, who later did one of my other favorite uh, wild and crazy absurdist game shows. What was that? Oh, God, it was like the 29-cent beauty ship pageant. You win the prize, you take the cake, you get the crown, and a dollar ninety-eight. All right, dollar ninety-eight, that's what it was, yeah. And you just got us sued by singing too much, but I'll edit that part out. That's okay. <laughs> that's you, these people should be damn grateful that we're talking about it. There's no... What damages would the dollar ninety-eight beauty show have? Okay, that's true. Chuck Barris is dead, and Rip Taylor is dead, and everyone else probably forgot about the show. So okay, right. we're good. Just a couple other because the list goes on yeah. and on. Louis Nye, yeah. David Letterman, Scatman Crothers, Jack Cassidy. Of course, we know died in his sleep from smoking cigarettes. Very unfortunate. <laughs> yeah, fell asleep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> this one doesn't make sense, but I guess she was on Dorothy Lamour. Hmm? Yeah. And of course, the oh, great. God. A lot of people say that I'm uh, his protege, Fred Travelina. Uh, <laughs> Sammy Kahn, Waylon Flowers, and Madam, your favorite. Oh, God. <laughs> Chuck about, Woolery, wait a minute. How, who learned the clapping. How about, how about, from, how about, yeah. how about Willie Tyler and Lester? Were they on the show? Yeah, no, I don't see that. I think uh, okay. Charlie McCarthy and Edgar Bergen uh, were on the were I those. think he had passed at that point. I love the, yeah. se- the fact that the winner, if you actually made it that far, he got a confetti shower and a check for $716.32. And second place got a yeah. consumer appliance that would be worth $33.95 approximately, like an iron. Okay. Uh, okay. I love that. Uh, I mean, who thinks of that? that that's great. Yeah. Uh, and then they would have a worst act of the week, which would get a dirty tube sock and $516.32. So right wow. there. Wow. So you, you get that much money for being the worst. Yeah. That's not bad <laughs> yeah, at all. almost got as much as the winner. Um, <laughs> And I guess they had, I mean, there's more that we could go on. So, but basically, right. uh, it got, finally got canceled in 1980. Then it came back around 1988 to 89. I have no memory of that. Very Me vague neither. memory. Can't remember who the hell the host of the show was. But what I do remember is that in 19, I'm sorry, 2017, do you remember they brought back the gong show? It was an idea produced by Will Arnett. 
Yes, who I never found funny at all, but supposedly he's got a great reputation in Hollywood as this real genius comedically, For but what? I don't think I've ever this left. This is pissing I know. me off already. I don't understand I who the hell he is. Okay. He was... No, he was in, uh, I remember him on 30 Rock, which was a funny show, but he was just a, a, he was a steaming pile of shit in the middle of that show. Doesn't he have a famous as far as father I was concerned. or something like that? Yeah, I think you're right. I, I think some are nets. I, I, we should know this, and I'll put it in the corrections. But, but I, remember the, I remember the reboot because um, it was the first thing Mike Myers had done in about 10 years. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. But I have a, yeah. it's a bone of contention with me here, too. Remember how sometimes we say that some of these things that everybody considers funny, we don't actually think is funny. It's almost like blasphemy. Like right. I said, that the I love Lucy makes me uncomfortable for some reason. You know, me too. Yeah. Me too. So, and uh, we've said certain other people we don't think is funny. I like Mike Myers, but I remember me the, too. at the time of this sh- reboot, it was given such high praise because it was, it was like he was a, this is a genius move. He comes back, he plays a host as his character in a makeup and a suit, this fat British guy named Tommy Maitland, and he does basically a routine. It's basically the voice he uses kind of in Austin Powers or something, uh, except in a little different uh, dialect. And, you know, after a while, I'm like, okay, I get it, but I don't really think it's that funny, and I don't think it's that genius. Well. I got to tell you this, though. The first time that uh, uh, Mike Myers was doing Tommy Maitland, my buddy Stan gave me a heads up. He said, you got to watch this. I watched it. I said, wow, that's clever. And then the second time I watched it, by the third time I watched it, I said, okay, you know, it, it just really lost its, it lost its luster right. that's exactly very quickly for me. That's exactly what I said. Okay, that, yep. it's a, yep. like a one-trick pony fizzles. And like, okay, now what? It's like a piece of chewing gum that's lost its flavor. And now- let, let me add two things real quick, yeah. real quick. Only because I just want these out there. According to Chuck Barris in his book, yeah. When, uh, when What's-His-Name uh, couldn't host the show, uh, and Gardner. before he took over as host, but when John Gardner couldn't host it, he wanted originally, and again, this is according to him, a homeless guy that he would see in front of the library every day on his way to work. He wanted that guy to host it. And he's like, that's the guy, that's the guy. I see him every day. He drives up to tell the guy, hey, I want you to come and do, the, or come and do a pilot or whatever. He didn't see the guy. And then he went back the next day, didn't see him, never saw him again. So that's when he realized, oh, well, what the hell, I'll do it. (laughs) And obviously he hosted it for four years. Again, that's according to him in his book. Whether it's true or not, could be just something he wanted to throw in there. He also claimed that he was a CIA assassin, not just a Right. No, he clearly wasn't, but he would never even back off that story. He said a lot of things. He was a wild-ass guy. He actually had an idea. This, you're not going to believe this. They came to him, and this is like the late 80s. They said, hey, Chuck, you know, we'd like you to host like a talk show. And he said, talk shows? Everyone's doing talk shows. He said, well, you come up with ideas. Come up with an idea. And what he did is he went in to the pitch. He said, hey, I've got a great idea. Went into the pitch meeting yeah. in L.A., and he had a big picture of himself in a hospital bed, completely in traction, with like, Two or three celebrities sitting at the bedside. And his idea for the show was, it's all done in a hospital room. I'm there in bed, unable to move with the big weights and everything. Like, I've just had this horrible accident, and these people are coming to visit me, and that's the show. Well, and he gets halfway through the pitch, and all of a sudden he realizes, this is one of the worst ideas I've ever had in my life. So he starts to get all sweaty. And then he, he hasn't revealed the photo yet, and he's, like, starting to over-explain, and then he has to loosen his collar, and then he, he, he throws the sheet off, and everyone looks at it, and he realizes, oh, my God, 
this was, I, what a big mistake I made. And obviously it never got on the air and it never went any further. But that's the type of guy he was. He just had one of those minds that I don't think we'll understand. No. And, you know, thank God for people like that popping in from time to time. Otherwise, we'd all be boring as hell. Otherwise, we'd all be watching shows like uh, the Drew Barrymore show. That, which oh, is a, a daytime no. show now. Did you know that? Yes. It's a daytime show. I'm not show. watching that. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I don't blame. Yeah. I, I, saw, I saw Drew up there, and I said, oh, I like Drew. Then I see the logo on the bottom, the Drew Barrymore show. I'm like, I already know that this has to suck. Yeah. <laughs> it has to suck. So I just went, I went back to MeTV and found something in black and white to watch. All right. I'm going to go ahead and, and do my variety show, which is really, I'm really going down a rabbit hole because... I uh, was watching, so I was on Amazon on my phone, and I saw something. I said, oh, geez, I don't want to watch that. And then I said, well, wait a minute. I don't want to watch I that. am going to watch that because it's going to be very helpful. It was <laughs> the 1964 film entitled The Patsy. The vet? The Patsy, P-A-T-S-Y. Hmm. Do you remember that movie? You got me stymied. Right? Stifled. Okay, well. All right, well, <laughs> this, this guy was more of a film, uh, uh, more of a film star and producer and director. The Patsy. Uh, he was, a, was with a partner for a lot of years, done a lot of films with him. Then in 1957, and I'm going to go down chronologically and then let you jump in whenever you figure out who I'm talking about. The Delicate Delinquent, The Sad Sack, Rockabye Baby. Harry Schmerler, the singing Ford man? The, ge- <laughs> the Geisha Boy. Oh my God. Don't Give Up the Ship. Red Skelton. Little Abner. Visit to a Small Planet. Arthur Godfrey. The Bell Boy. Cinderfella. God. I'm a, I think I'm in an alternate re- universe right now. <laughs> the Ladies Man. <laughs> The Errand Boy, It's Only Money, all right, he'll get it right here, The Nutty Professor. Well, I was going to say that at the beginning, Jerry Lewis. <laughs> yep, Jerry Lewis. Oh, my Jerry God. Jerry Lewis. And what I did is I watched the Patsy 1964 film, yeah. and it was one of those ones where he wrote it and he directed it. And, of course, by the 60s, he, he would become egotistical Jerry where he wrote and produced everything, and... He wouldn't even write a film. He'd just do, in the Patsy, he plays just like this moron who they turn into a big Hollywood star. And I'm not kidding you, Harry. The entire, for five minutes, they have the, the, the crew there saying, hey, let's take an unknown and make him a star. Okay, who can we get to be an unknown and make him a star? Here comes Jerry Lewis, dressed in the red bellboy outfit where he's bringing in the drinks and the ice. And he's like, I will bring, oh, I dropped the ice. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to drop it. The bellboy. I'm, I'm, uh, what you say, who? Um, I mean, did you see when I, uh, I had it, all my clothes were wet, so I changed my clothes, because when I, that's why I was long. Should I put, or not? Just stand. I'll close the door. And that's literally, that's his entire vocal pattern for the entire movie until they get to the final scene when he has confidence and he talks like Jerry Lewis. But 
He's just this moron that they and, and it's it's one of the worst movies of all time. Uh, What's the plot? Where he's they're the Hollywood is trying to make this moron a star, and so they try to teach him to sing, and so they they you know, home court. He goes lay dun 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 dun. Try this. You know, dun 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 dun. Why? Dun 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 I mean, that's really the whole. Point. Why are they trying to do it? Is there something they're trying to prove something, or is there a bet? Or yeah. Well, th- what happened is a big star died, and they're like, but he taught us everything, so if we take everything that he taught us and teach it to an unknown, we'll be geniuses, and we'll have ah, a big star. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so, that, of course, Jerry Lewis goes through dance lessons, and you can imagine, and then they put him through, uh, they, they take him into a recording studio, and he does a, an album, and it's a horrible, I mean, the whole thing, it's just one gag the whole Way it's I shouldn't I shouldn't even talk this much about it, but that's the reason I got to the Jerry Lewis show, which actually, and I don't know if you remember this, but how many uh, the Jerry Lewis show? When I say that to you, what do you think? Well, I think of the telethon. I don't think I ever saw the Jerry Lewis show. <laughs> I might have seen I seen the telethon and some old Martin and Lewis movie here or there, and that's it. Okay. Well, okay, I'm going to go through. Of course, Martin and Lewis were back, you know, 10 years back in the 40s and 50s. Big hit, did the Copa, did everything, Ed Sullivan, the Colgate Comedy Hour. We go on about that. Then Jerry breaks off on his own, and he becomes, you know, the, the caricature that where he'd do the same thing over and over and over and over, and his Vegas act was the same thing for 35, 40 years. But as far as the TV variety shows, and I'm going to call it one, but actually put three in there. Uh-huh. From sem- September to December... Of 1963 on ABC, he had a two-hour variety show called The Jerry Lewis Show. Do you remember that at all? What years again? Give me that again. It was only it was four months in 1963, September to December. No, I was not born at that okay. time. I don't remember that. No. And the thing is, it, it's never really been much in syndication, but it's a great story because Leonard Goldison, uh, Goldenson, who was the president of ABC, said, hey, great idea. In the fall, let's give Jerry Lewis two. No, he just wanted him to do an hour show, a live variety show from a theater starring Jerry Lewis. And, of course, Jerry, because he's got such a huge ego, says, well, if one hour of Jerry Lewis is good, then two hours of Jerry Lewis will be even better. (laughs) So did he really? Can can I ask you a quick question? I don't mean. uh, Yeah, go. I'm fascinated by the breakup of Martin and Lewis. We don't have to get into it too deep, but was it really Lewis the one that wanted to break up? Because did he really think that his shit didn't stink, that he was the fun, you know, that he could make it on his own? I mean, like you said, yeah. it, he was, even with Lewis, I keep using this cliche, one-trick pony, he had some talent, yeah. but it was all about the goofy character, the whole career, right? There's a great book, of course. You're going to laugh at me because I've read a book. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, but I think it's great. It, it, it it's written by Arthur Marx, who was Groucho Marx's son. It's called "Everybody Loves Somebody Sometime, Especially Himself," and it outlines the ten years of Martin and Lewis. And it's great because it dispel dispels a lot of the 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 BS that Jerry his his had peddled for the last twenty five years of his life after, after Dean Martin passed away. And basically, it was. They hit it big 
Uh, it was great for about five years. They were making a ton of dough. And then Jerry's ego started to get out of control. And maybe Dean had some ego problems, but Dean was a little more laid back. Yeah. But yeah, Jerry basically, Jerry's the one, I think, that was the instigator that really needled. I remember in the last movie they did, uh, or one of the last movies, uh, Jerry wrote the script, of course, with you know three other, four other people. And he said, okay, he says, you're going to play a cop in this movie. And Dean's like, you know what? I hate uniforms. He says, can you make me a detective so I can just wear a nice suit instead of a a cop uniform. He said, no, no, no. He says, we wrote it for a cop. And then uh, Dean Martin says, uh, uh, Dean Martin says, no, no, no. He says, I do not want to wear a uniform. And then Jerry said, well, maybe you'll have to get somebody else. And Dean Martin said, start looking, pal. Oh, man. Wow. <laughs> and that was, that was the beginning of the end. Then the last two years, it was very cantankerous between the two of them. So, but yeah, most people thought Jerry was going to soar and they're, oh, we're worried about Dean. Uh, and then Dean did one or two movies that weren't very good, but then all of a sudden, bingo, he, uh, got a couple of, he got, I think it was, gosh, what was the movie? It was with John Wayne and Ricky yeah. Nelson. Rio was Bravo. A Western. That's it. Rio Bravo. Very yeah. good. And then all of a sudden Dean was back on top. And then of course, uh, hit it out of the park with his variety show in the sixties produced by Greg Garrison, which we all remember. The roast. Uh, and yeah, the road that the roast came after that. The roast were actually. All right, so quickly, back to the Jerry Lewis show yes. of 1963. Two hours. They, re, uh, uh, they go ahead and refurbish the El Capitan Theater for $400,000, and they call it the Jerry Lewis Theater for this ABC show. Mm. Well, Jerry doesn't like the way that the, the stage is set up. So Mood is ahead. wrong. Mood is wrong. So Sorry. Jerry spends another $4.5 million to rebuild the stage and the backstage and the lighting and the wiring and everything. So they're really, they're $5 million into this show, debuting in September of 1963. Whoa, so would you really be like, what, what do you think that'd be like $100 million now or something like that? I couldn't even imagine. And he had like, I think he had a five-year contract, but I'll put that in the corrections. So they go to the first show, and it's a big deal, and it's on a prime time. I think it was on from 8 to 10. And first show, and here's Jerry, and he starts. And one of the cameras goes down. And, oh, the lighting goes bad. The whole thing was a fiasco from the beginning. I mean, technical problems. Jerry didn't handle it well. And, of course, if you watch any of the, the stuff, he's just doing the same Jerry Lewis bits where he, like, you know, takes out a cigarette and hits it, you know, to pack it down, and it falls into, like, four pieces, and he puts it in the, his mouth and tries to light it. And when he tries to light it, it's the lighter with that huge flame, you know, where he... <laughs> <laughs> the joke, same joke. <laughs> no, I know, it is kind of funny. <laughs> but, I mean, he did, he did that stuff for, for 50 years. for guy. I mean, no original material. No. Uh, he'd wear the fake teeth, you know. Uh, he'd do... He'd do the Asian impersonation, which is just so completely oh, yeah, politically now. incorrect now. Oh, God. Well, can I ask he, you? It's, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. What, you know, he did the, the, when I was watching the MDA marathon, or what is it called? Muscular dystrophy. Was it called the marathon? Or? Telethon. No, the telethon. 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 <laughs> what the hell am I talking about? Marathon. <laughs> Uh, the mus- he- that would be good, though. The muscular dystrophy marathon, where all the kids with muscular dystrophy are forced to compete in a marathon of 26 miles. Oh, that's actually a better idea. Yeah, that's, that's cruel. <laughs> that, 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 yeah. that is. 
It would be about the same length of a TV program, basically. <laughs> but anyway, um, I always thought, it, I never questioned Jerry Lewis because I didn't know that much about him from before. I just knew, you know, the history a little bit. I thought, he must be a great guy. He must be a sweet guy to do this for all these kids. Oh. Jerry's kids and everything. Yeah. Then yeah. later I heard what a jackass he was. And yeah. I seen him, you know, pictures, he seemed so bitter and all this stuff. Like, which was it? Did he have two sides or was he just a jerk and then this was a publicity stunt even though it did good things? Or what do you think? What's the verdict? Jerry Lewis, asshole or not asshole? Or is you it know, complicated? No, it's so complicated. And I've, again, I've read a lot of books and I've, I've interviewed people that knew Jerry. Um, he was a real, he was a difficult guy, a very tough guy to get to know. Yes, uh -huh. he had some major ego problems for a lot of years. Um, but then there are other people that, you know, that say, no, he had a big heart. He did a lot of things behind the scenes. I will say this. His last appearance, his last live appearance was in Bonita Springs, Florida, and I had front row seats. It was me, oh, my ex-wife, and my buddy Stan, yeah. And uh, so the guy comes, the guy who ran the theater, knew my pal Stan, and he comes over and he's like, hey, everything good? We're like, hey, man, thanks for the seats. He's like, oh, no problem. And so he said, hey, you know, when he gets on stage, I know we're not supposed to take any video or any pictures. I said, but would you mind if we did it? He says, well, I'll tell you, I was just backstage with him, and he's being real difficult, so do whatever the hell you want. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and he actually, the, the, the owner of the theater, went back there and gave Jerry his check, and I think it was 30, 30 grand. I think that's what he was getting for an appearance then. So gives him the check for 30 grand, and Jerry, rather than take it, and, and like put it in his coat pocket. He took it and opened it to make sure it was the right amount of money. Mm, oh. Yeah. And this is yeah. his very last appearance before his death. last, his last public, his last performance. Yeah. Now was he swelled up like a Macy's parade balloon at that point? Remember he was on that medicine for a while, and I looked up. Oh my God, he looks like he's about to explode. He. You know, do you remember for about that? Four, yeah, for about four years he was re well, maybe even less than that. He was the Macy's balloon because he was on the steroids for his back. He had a real right. bad back, which he yeah. broke, I guess, in the 60s. Um, then he got that electronic uh, impulse thing, which he became a spokesman for, uh, to relieve the pain. So he was off the steroids. So he got back down to a, a regular size. He was never skinny Jerry again. But when we saw him, he, you know, he didn't have that big, uh, you know, big uh, balloon-shaped head. <laughs> But Sorry, I got I just, uh, no, no, no. I got to tell you, I, and he, his, I've seen his act over the years. For you know, uh, it's on YouTube. You can watch his Vegas act from the '60s. For God's sake, uh, they did an HBO special with him and Sammy Davis Jr., which is actually okay. Uh, it was produced by David Steinberg, and it's it's good. The music is good, and of course, Sammy sings well. Uh, it's about three, four years before Sammy died. But um, my point is. Jerry, you know, never varied his act. And he did his, his humor. Uh, this was in his next to last performance uh, that I saw. So this would have been like, oh, God, let me guess. It's sometime in the late 90s. Uh, now maybe even the 2000s. Yeah, it must have been the 2000s. But this is the bit he did. He comes out, and you're going to think I'm making this up. But he comes out on stage. He's got the piano. He's got the orchestra behind him. And he's got a, a cassette player. And he says, you know what? He says, I just want to show you this. He says, 
the fact is the Japanese are beating us in everything. As far as technology goes, he says, I want you to sh- take a look at this cassette player. Of course, a cassette player at this point is like 20 years behind the times. If he had had like an iPod or something, you know. But no, he's using this cassette player. And he says, let me show you. He says, the Japanese are just so far ahead. L- listen to the quality of this. So he takes a cassette player, he hits record and play. And the orchestra comes up and Mammy, Mammy, the sun shines east, the sun shines west, and then and I can sing that because it's in the public domain. So uh so then he says, Okay, let me play this back and show you how the Japanese are better than us. Rewind, plays it, and then through the cassette recorder you hear Hoing Chong Hoing Kain Chong Katong Chuck Chong. When we play it back through the house system, you will hear the recording I made in your presence. And proof positive, the Japanese are beating us. You can hear this. The difference. And you're like, I can't believe he's doing this joke. I mean, even in the 60s. Wow. And, yeah. and, and I mean, but again, he'd been doing that, that act for. And, and, and the last time I saw him, he was telling the same jokes that he told, you know. For, for years, and then he would pitch to a clip up on the on the stage, and he'd say, oh, here's me and Sammy Davis Jr. on the telethon back in 1986. So then he'd sit there for six minutes, we'd watch a clip, and then he'd say, I want you to remember something. A friend in need is a pest. All right, here's another uh. clip. Yeah, I mean, just, yeah, I wish oh, I could remember man. all the joke, but yeah, 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 yeah. But, I, you know, I, I give him credit. He, he got a standing ovation just because he was able to get out there, you know. He, he couldn't walk. They had, he, he, they, he, they brought him up in like a walker. He sat in a chair, a big throne, actually, uh, mm-hmm. did his act, and he still got a standing ovation just because of the fact that he made it through the 50 minutes or whatever the, uh, the length of the act it was. Well, good friend. Did he smoke? No. No, he quit smoking, I think, finally in the, in the 90s. Yeah, he had to. He had, I think he had like three heart attacks or something. Oh, yeah. He looked like just a commercial for a heart attack, basically. Yeah. He had his first heart attack, actually, in Cinderella when he ran up the stairs. They had this big staircase. He ran up to the top of the stairs, ran out of the frame, collapsed, and they took him to the hospital. That was his first heart attack, from oh what I've God. read. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. All right, I'm really – boy, did I get off, off, off base here because I still have two <laughs> more shows. I still my have to fault. talk about the, – no, it's my fault. Uh, the Jerry Lewis Show, which was on ABC for only those 13 weeks, two hours, prime time. Well, what happens in uh, November – of 1963 in Dallas. Well, uh, I think there was a problem. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> if I recall correctly, uh, we yeah. lost the president that day. That's right. Well, so ABC suspends all its programming, and they already were so unhappy with the Jerry Lewis show. So they suspend the programming. They start to come back. Jerry Lewis does one more show, and they just said, you know what, let's just quietly put an end to this. So they just they took the loss, and they, they paid Jerry off. So that was it for the first Jerry Lewis show. Now, fast forward. NBC, 1967 to 1969. They say, hey, let's do the Jerry Lewis show. So basically, Jerry does almost the exact same show, only I think this one was on tape. But at this point, Jerry Lewis is up against uh, It Takes a Thief and, um, and, and the Mod Squad. And his show is just so dated. It never cracked the top 25. Same act, right? Same act, same stuff, doing the same characters he did in the movies with the buck teeth and the big glasses. Same dead. Can I ask you a question? Uh, yep. And I promise not that many. No, uh, no, no. Was he, you know, at some point he was super skinny when he was with Dean Martin. And then he got. Right. To, I'm not talking about balloon head, okay? I'm talking about then he got to his, like, 
seventies uh, and eighties look where he was like not fat, but he definitely wasn't skinny. He was like no, know, he filled out. He filled shape. out. Yeah. yeah. Where in 67, 68, was he still skinny or was, he, was it a slow process where he swelled up to uh, his regular uh, end of life uh, girth? Or where, where was he at in 67 to 68 or so? Well, that, it, it's interesting you bring that up because even in the Patsy in 64, he's still playing. And this is, a, again, a quote from a book. That mongoloid voiced character of, yay, <laughs> my doodle, it's a dandy. And you're looking at him, and you're, you see a little bit of crow's feet, and you see he's getting a little puffy there in the cheeks and in the jowl, and you're like, he's playing this kid, and he's obviously a middle-aged man. So it was a gradual transformation, but he still kept playing the kid, and it just, you know, it never, it just, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't work the way it did back when it, it was Martin and Lewis, you know. No, it looked like a different person, for God's sakes. All right, now I'm get, I saved the best for last because I know you remember this one. 1980, 1984, uh, Metro Media decided, actually the year before, to go up against Johnny Carson. And they said, hey, we're going to put this young Canadian performer, this jingle writer guy. He's a musician. He sings a little bit. Handsome guy. We're going to put him on against Johnny Carson in syndication, and we're going to take down the king. Well, from 1983 to 1984, the show was on the air. One of the biggest bombs of all time. Do you remember the show I'm talking about? Uh, in the Thick of the Night. You're exactly right, Mr. Yeah. Alan Thick, who went on to other successes. But So they did this show for a year, and they realized, oh, my God, this is terrible. So they take it off the air, and they're looking for a replacement. So for <laughs> one week, <laughs> one week they did a pilot of the new version of the Jerry Lewis oh, show. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and that's the one. That's the one you and I remember because we were just we were, we were like senior year high school, um, and it was on Channel Thirty Two, the local UHF station, mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was a Metro Media station. Yeah, I and I, uh, I got that in real good because I had the antenna. It was like circular shaped on top of the black and white TV that I had. Remember? Oh that? yeah, yeah. That was the sure. UHF antenna, not the rabbit ears. That was for the regular channels. No, and if you had a good circle antenna, you could get channel 32, 34, or 44, even 26, the Spanish station. You yeah, could, you I used could to get watch a, wrestling yeah. on channel 44. But anyway, go ahead. So for, uh, so for one week, they bring back the Jerry Lewis show. You and I remember that because the big deal was the fact that, that one of his guests was going to be Frank Sinatra. And, of course, that did happen. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's, again, doing the exact same act, doing the exact same Jerry Lewis but the thing that makes that show Google-worthy yeah. is, is the fact that he had, a, he had a sidekick on that show, if I remember correctly. And, and what was that guy's name? Oh, my God. I forgot. I totally <laughs> blanked out. Lay it on me. Oh, come on. I'll, I'll, do, a little, I'll do a little impersonation. Okay. <laughs> Charlie Callis! <laughs> Zip, zing, bing, That's it. You do it better than I do. <laughs> Hello, operator. Hello, this is this is this is Ralph. This is Ralph. Hey, Ralph. Egg, 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 egg,
Guess who this is? That's right. I do remember now. Ah, yes. I remember it well. Oh, and there's no reason to. Uh, it's just horrible. Now, I why mean, was it, it only is... one week? Because it was so horrible? Or was it always planned just to be a kind of a, well, we'll see how it goes, and we'll see if we renew you, and then wasn't that good? Yeah. I, I think it was one of those things where it was kind of put together fairly quickly because they canceled Thick of the Night. They said, well, Jerry, what the hell? We'll give you a week. And, of course, Jerry calls Sinatra and says, hey, Frank, yeah, I know you don't do these shows. So Sinatra came on. But at this point, Sinatra's an old man. Yeah. Uh, you know, what? It, what it, I mean, and... Nothing. I mean, I love Sinatra. I would never, Mr. Sinatra, I should say. Yeah, Mr. Um, Sinatra. But uh, might but as well yeah, have Lawrence one... Welk on at that point, for God's sakes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just saw an episode of the Jack Benny Show from '63 where Lawrence Welk was a guest, and it was funny. It was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> this was going to be an extravaganza, but as I'm looking at the old clock on the wall, for God's sake, this is going to be like three extravaganzas. <laughs> And we only did two shows. Unless you edit out the bad stuff, then we only have half a show. So we'll see. I feel bad, too, because I wonder if there's people. The Jerry Lewis show. Oh, jeez. Is there another podcast available? Maybe. Does Dan Patrick have, like, Johnny Bench on this week? You know. (laughs) Well, uh, that show would be sponsored by Krylon Paints. Remember that? The The Johnny Bench spray paint ads that he did all throughout the 70s and 80s? Yeah. And I remember working at Kmart where we would sell Krylon and Rustoleum, yeah. and we'd get more returns on the Krylon than any <laughs> other brand. <laughs> You'd go up to the service desk, there'd be four cans of Krylon that people had brought back. This stuff is shit. I don't care. Johnny. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, God. All right, how do you want to finish this up? Do you want to, do you want to give me an impression, yeah, should, or should we end? See, I'm going to send this off with my old friend Chuck Ferris. and <laughs> say, we're not going anywhere. We'll be back after this, these messages next week with more stuff. All right, this is Jim back with the corrections, and by far most importantly, it was Harry Bartosiak who made the comparison between Mr. Frank Sinatra and Lawrence Welk. That's the great Mr. Frank Sinatra and Lawrence Welk. That was Harry Bartosiak. I did not approve of that joke. I did not find it funny, and I wish I could have edited it out. Chuck Barris, we mentioned his biggest shows. He also did the new Treasure Hunt with Jeff Edwards, which was kind of a hit. But he also wrote Palisades Park. That song from way back when made it to number three on the charts. Sarah Purcell was not a dancer, although she did host a lot of TV shows over the years. The unknown comic was a guy named Murray Langston, and he did over 100 performances, according to Wikipedia, with Sonny and Cher, mainly on the Sonny and Cher Comedy Hour. Will Arnett is not funny, and he does not have a famous father. And Jerry Lewis, when he did the ABC show in 1963... His contract was for 40 episodes and $8 million. And that's $8 million of 1963 money. And again, for any of my former associates still in the Chicago area, it was Harry Bartosiak who made those remarks about Mr. Frank Sinatra. And just to save you some time, boys, Harry Bartosiak's home address is 2200 Euclid Avenue in Arlington Heights. And just to save you even more time... His alarm code at the house is 9713. That's 9713. All right, we thank you so much for uh, listening to the podcast, and hopefully next time we'll be back with another extravaganza. So long.